Should I put my face on or no? Oh, we are all right. We're live. I think we're a little. Usually we're a little late. Today we're a little early, which is good. We're usually a few minutes behind. Today we're kind of two minutes early. Oh, there you are. Okay, we're here with the uh, how do you Satis group? Yep, Satis. Satis. Okay, Satis group. And uh, what are your names? I'm Sherwin. And my name is Michael. Sherwin and Michael. Are there uh, are there others part of the uh, Satis group, or is it just just you guys? Or yeah, so we do have a team of um, about eight people, and that goes uh, basically we have two sides. The first side is kind of like the banking advisory side, and then our side is we kind of do the independent research. Okay. Yeah, I feel like the roles are reversed here. I'm in the shirt and tie. And, uh, <laughs> you guys are supposed to be the finance guys. Meanwhile, you're wearing the Occupy and Monero t-shirt. <laughs> and I'm wearing the shirt and tie. What happened? Appropriate. Um, well, my, Michael, oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, so Michael and I are pretty separate from the advisory side. It kind of started with the firm being ICO advisory, and then we split off. And so we're kind of a separate, we're entirely separate. The contributions from there don't come in here. We don't get out input from them. We basically publish our own research and that's that's kind of all we do. Um, so yeah, and Very we good. got tired of wearing ties because we don't work on Wall Street anymore, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thank you. And you probably get more respect in the community for not wearing ties, right? It's like, uh, kind, of, kind of works the opposite way. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it but is the group associated with bloomberg in any way because i know I, I noticed that's where it was kind of like the news broke was from bloomberg and uh is the group kind of under bloomberg like or unrelated or so yeah there's a lot of misconceptions about that so we just create the notes through bloomberg's publishing platform and push it out through their terminal um our research is more intended for an institutional audience um so it's not related to them. I mean, they've used our data in different bits and articles, same as Wall Street Journal, same as FT, whatever. But it's not related to them. We we use their platform, uh, but it's completely separate from them. So are you guys seeing a lot of interest, obviously, in the, uh, in the mainstream financial institutions uh, in terms of uh, crypto and trying to evaluate crypto assets? Yeah, pretty good interest. Um, uh, I think most of it is understanding the space because in the world we live in right now, it's pretty granular. We, we're all a technical crowd that gets into the weeds. Um, I think for the most part, a lot of them are just trying to get a good grasp of what this stuff is as a whole. So if you look at our reports, it kind of tries to encompass the entire thing, not just Bitcoin, not just Ethereum, but kind of understand the whole space, trying to break it up the best way we can so that they can understand it. And obviously they're barred off right now because of a lot of the the custody issues, but um, they're preparing for that kind of thing. So um, it's good to have some uh, holistic research, um, which is what we're aiming for. So yeah, there's there's definitely been a lot of interest from all types of funds. Um, we've spoken with really, really old uh, mutual fund managers, like stuff your, your parents probably use, but um, as well as hedge funds, as well as crypto specific uh, funds, which you're familiar with. So. so I noticed you have the Monero shirt on. Are you uh, kind of a Monero enthusiast, uh, research aside? Is it, is that something uh, you align with? Yeah, Mike and I have actually been fans of Monero uh, since pretty early on, mostly because the community and it's pretty it's pretty understated uh, in general. The community is much more technical, uh, again more more humble and understated. Um, and honestly, based on what we said in the report, that's how we have felt for quite a while. Um, we didn't. We'll go through the numbers so people can see um, that we're not. We didn't go into it with a pretty biased view. Um, you can you can show the math and everything, but uh, but yeah, we've we've both been fans of the community and, and the project as well. So, yeah. and I think um you know one of the things that kind of attracts me personally to Monero and a lot of people is it really goes along with you know the privacy. It goes along with I think what a lot of us why a lot of us became interested in Bitcoin in the beginning, kind of having that you know asset that was you know like a true digital private you know untraceable money. And I think um, a lot of people that started with Bitcoin, well, you know, they still want that. And they've realized that, you know, Bitcoin is, you know, it's more traceable than they might have thought, you know, in the very beginning, ultimately. 
So was was that your path that both of you have kind of taken? Like you started off in the Bitcoin world, and then as you realized the uh, the blockchain was trans, as everybody started to realize how transparent it really was, or whether or not that was obvious to you from the get go, and then you kind of slow, slowly transitioned into things like Monero and seeing uh, the need for privacy and fungibility. Or did you guys start in Monero? What was the uh, the background there? So Mike and I have been around for quite a while, um, maybe six seven years ago. Um, we're mining in the dorm rooms, um, and Monero now, I think Mike, I don't want to speak for you as well, but reminds us of what Bitcoin reminded us of back then. Um, so when you learn about Bitcoin's not entirely private, um, I don't want to say Monero is, or guarantee anything, but it's much more, and compared to the other solutions out there right now, um, is definitely much more compelling, but it reminds me of what Bitcoin made me feel back, back then. So it goes along exactly with Michael said. We, we sat there and watched all these different crises crises around the world go on, you know, Brexit, Brexit, all these Cyprus, all these things go on. Um, and it just made it much more appealing. Um, and then you can see what was kind of going on there. And we can go through our backgrounds and stuff um, as well. Yeah. So you want to do that? Sure. Mike, you want to uh, go? Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll start. So, uh, yeah, I, I ultimately, I, I, you know, I probably got started, you know, interest in, in Bitcoin specifically. Um, I'd say soon after, you know, soon after high school, senior year of high school, which would have been 2010, 2011, maybe uh, that type of time frame. Um, you know, like I kind of mentioned, really attracted to just the idea of uh, a digital money that was kind of, you know, um, not under any central government control, kind of just like the freedom that that could provide, uh, almost philosophically. And I just thought that was really cool. And, um, so that's really what ultimately got me interested in it. And then, um, yeah, like Sherwin mentioned, um, in, um, in college, um, we mined actually Bitcoin in our dorm room with um, just GPU miners, but for me, GPU miners, because we had free electricity. And it was just like an opportunity <laughs> you can't pass up, you know, just to keep them, the miners running 24-7. And, um, yeah, from, from there, you know, I did like a little bit of kind of like independent tech research. And then eventually I joined Argon Group. Um, Argon, if you've heard of them, they did the first um, security token offering uh, blockchain capital and then um, moved on from Argon, Argon. And I've been with Status for about seven, seven months or so now. Cool. And then so, yeah, back in the dorms, Michael actually introduced me to it. Um, that was around the time we were poking around at Silk Road and stuff like that. We thought it was interesting. Uh, my background was in finance, so I was pursuing a, a a career in equity research, so stock research, like an analyst you'd think of. Um, and then I I worked on both quant research in school, so math based uh, crypto research, really just on Bitcoin uh, network stats, and then just an overview of it for the finance department because back then it was pretty foreign. Um, and then I worked on Wall Street on one of the first. Um, valuation reports, which is what this is kind of based on um, at Wedbush Securities. Um, and then I, I continued working on Wall Street and research. And then finally, there was the opportunity to go full time into crypto. Um, and then Michael and I joined together and have uh, worked on research. So basically sell side research, like, like what you think of on Wall Street, but for crypto, because I think that's needed. And back then it was not like you would never mention this stuff in an interview. That was just automatic shutdown in an interview. Be, it's, it's just known as weird. But now there's a somewhat of a place for it so um yeah that's what has led me here we've been fans for a long time when you learn about it you know we poked around in it for a bit and but when you first learn about it it's pretty you know down the rabbit hole which i don't like using but it's true so definitely what do you guys i mean i imagine when you're when you're starting to to value this stuff um it kind of starts with what is the value proposition of blockchain technology? Like what what can you do with blockchain that you weren't able to do before blockchain existed? It's kind of, I mean, that's at least how I start to look at it when I start to value this. Uh, do you guys take that approach? And I guess my question is, what do you see being the value proposition of blockchain in general? Sure, actually, can I share the, the note? Is that okay right now? Sure. So... So basically what we did with this one is, yeah, we narrowed it down to kind of what end markets do we think will this stuff leak into a bit and be used in a bit. Um, ICO funding, 
uh, crypto trading, which is becoming very big by our most recent report. Gaming, gambling, remittance, unbanked population, just keeping their money there, digital commerce, video games. So all those different places, uh, mobile point of sale, uh, offshore deposits, you know, IT storage compute, the whole IT situation, the, the whole the whole stack. Um, so quite a bit of things. Um, and I can go into it further if you'd like. So Yeah, I guess, I guess what I was getting at, um, sure. I mean, because, you know, like, all these things exist already, right? Like, um, sure. I, I could already send remittances today, um, yep. obviously using other technologies. I could, uh, you know, there's, there's PayPal and a million other ways I could basically send money instantly around the world to anyone basically for free. So that's obviously not what the value prop of, of Bitcoin or Monero is, right? So, I mean, what do you guys, do you guys see it as being censorship resistant value transfer? Is that, I don't know, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. We're just trying to get down to the, the root of what this stuff is, if you boil it down and what this technology allows us to do that we weren't able to do before. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I went into too much detail. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, censorship resistance, um, when it comes to applications, uh, having, you know, minimal downtime anywhere where there's some sort of, you know, intermediary or third party, which is, I mean, from our early reports, if you look at GDP and the percentage of GDP that comes from, as from a, the result of some sort of intermediary service, it's, it's really astonishing. Most of the financial services industry, um, so it has the ability to take over some little bit from those because of just the nature of it, how it, you know, can run without that um, or to, to lesser degrees. And Mike, if you want to add, but I, that's. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So I think, you know, there's, um, you know, there's definitely um, as far as, you know, networks and, you know, gaining little slices of that, you know, I think ultimately it's, you know, the biggest is the censorship resistance as far as, um, you know, having an asset or a currency that, you know, a nation state cannot really, you know, clamp down on, you know, there's, you know, traditional networks, um, you know, you, you could shut down PayPal, you know, you could shut down, you know, MoneyGram, you know, you could shut down these other remittance services. And um, just with something that's resistant to those types of um, attacks. And when you add in like the privacy, you know, as well, um, I think I think that's really where I see a lot of the the value coming from. So you guys essentially, I mean, we'll go through the whole. We could run through the whole report, but you guys, it sounds like you see kind of store of value as being the biggest chunk, right? Of where of where the actual use case is for this stuff. Is that accurate? So, with this report, we kind of went on a ten year frame. Um, it's interesting because a lot of people assume a lot of value in these objects or these in these networks and their and their different assets on them. But when you look at what they're being used for right now, the immediate compelling use for them, yeah, absolutely, it's going to be that store value remittance. You're not there's no applications yet there yet that they're being used for in a meaningful way. Um, so we tried to project that, but at the moment. Absolutely. That's why they're all being used for what they're being used for. That's why crypto trading's taken off. It's a new asset you can transfer in a different way you couldn't before. No one's actually using this stuff for, you know, computer storage um, yet. Uh, but at the moment, uh, yes, I'd agree. So, so you can already use it for those is, is what I mean. Like right now, if you were to go and yeah, source some value there, you can already do that. Mm -hmm. um, with a lot of these networks, maybe they're not big enough to be used for whatever end app. Uh, end, end user they want to use it for there's no actual meaningful application of the token that you're buying to use that to use that um to, to use it with so yeah so running through these charts then if we look at um the initial the initial one you started looking at which basically uh breaks down uh, figure number three sure. the estimated penetration of crypto assets and then you know, for each addressable market. So like, for example, you have ICO funding on the top. Right. Um, so wouldn't that just be 100%? How else are ICOs being funded other than with, with crypto? Yeah, sure. So right now, yeah, much of it we think is crypto, but down the line, fiat currencies are 
going to be, you know, definitely you're already seeing them used on a lot of different platforms. Um, you know, a lot of the big ones, CoinList and things like that, they all support fiat currency. So we basically see it going shrinking in, in terms of share, mm-hmm. but the size will go up. But yeah, you can use fiat currencies and we think that'll become bigger. Okay. And things like trading are going to kind of, well, I guess continue to, that space will continue to right. grow. Um, and then I guess the, like we were saying, where, where do you have, uh, what would that be? Precious metals or where are we seeing the store of value here? Or that's- so that's where you typically would have stored it with any other precious metal, gold, mm-hmm. silver, or something like that, leaking into this space um, from, you know, what, what type of share of that value would be in this market. So, and I can walk you through the, the methodology all the way from the top, kind of how we actually broke it down by looking at the size of the market. Is that, or did you want to? No, yeah, go, go for it. Sure. For it. So the math behind it, and there's a lot of different ways that you can think of valuation with this type of stuff. A lot of people might look at this and think it's hypothetical, but I think the important part to remember is our audience is an institutional audience um, and they need to have some sort of framework that they can look at this stuff and have some estimate of value through some sort of actual framework, not a regression or a chart or you know, or just looking at a price chart. Um, they want to have some sort of fundamental understanding. So basically, we used some a methodology which is MV equals PT. So basically, the supply times a velocity, which is a turnover of some unit. It's it's valuation of kind of looking at an economy. So MV equals the price per unit of the cryptocurrency times size of the economy. So the the goal in a nutshell is basically estimating the size of some economy and backing into the amount of some asset you would need to facilitate that kind of economic activity. Um, and so this report does that. So basically the TARP, at the, no, excuse me, at the top, we forecast out the TAM. So the total addressable market, AKA what's the giant, what's the actual market size? So how big is IT spend? How big is ICO funding? How big is crypto trading? So you come up with something for 2018, we came up with an estimated $56 trillion um, is the addressable market that we think crypto could approach, like the, the whole market um, that it could possibly take share from. We forecast that out um, to come up with our you know, future rates. Um, we use you know, typical industry estimates, Gartner, IDC, things like that. And then we come up with um, some sort of share that we think crypto will take of that, which is what you saw here. Then that basically comes down to some sort of capacity you have supported by these currencies. Um, and then, uh, so let me see, what is this? The crypto Yeah. So this is the penetration again. Then what we do is we divide by velocity. So what you're thinking of is how many times does this token or whatever need to actually be used and flip inside out, um, per year. So if you're thinking of something like, um, if you're going to buy something from Starbucks rather than actually storage of value, that's going to have a lot higher of a velocity. So you'll need less of that token to facilitate that amount of economic activity. So the higher the velocity, the less of that thing you'll need, the lower the value. So basically, let me see what we came up with here. So yeah, so then we you divide that out and you come up to some amount of this crypto that would be needed from that original 56 trillion um, and the penetration that you think crypto have, let's say 1% or something, that'll get you to a certain amount. Um, so I think we put, uh, I don't know what our blended, percentage was. Uh, but long story short, we came down to about $170 billion worth of crypto to have that share of economic activity. You need that much crypto to, to actually facilitate that based on the frequency of use cases, things like this. Then we split it down each of the sectors. So we have currencies, platforms, privacy coins, and we have each of the niche ones, storage, compute, gaming. Um, and then we basically assign them each shares of that. Um, as you can see, you know, with currencies, we assumed Bitcoin maintains lion's share, but kind of decreases platforms, ETH, same, same kind of story, but decreases at a faster rate, um, with the privacy coins, these certain amounts and we, of the percentage of the crypto needed from within those different subsections that we mentioned here above, um, what percentage would go into each of those buckets of the sectors. So as you can see. Offshore deposits are a giant, huge amount of money that we think is pretty, pretty, uh, 
it's pretty ripe for, I guess, crypto penetration because of the use cases that crypto has um, and certain networks have, which we've estimated here below, which we think which which networks will get the, the lion's share of each of those. Um, so yeah, sorry, that was a lot, but I can go into that, but no, that's, that's a good overview. Um, so if we, so I guess looking at the the figure seven uh, then, um, sure. so you have basically obviously Bitcoin being the owning the lion's share of the currency space, and I guess declining a little bit over time. Right. Um, and then, so who do you have kind of eating into their their share there? Honestly, we have other. We have just some variable as to to leave the chance of some other coin coming in. So others are pretty. A large piece um, that we just put in there for, for the amount of uncertainty, because basically we're assuming that with whatever's out there currently, it's if anything not compelling at all to completely take it over. Um, so we're leaving that in there for some uncertainty, but mostly BTC. Yeah. Do you guys see Monero potentially eating into that space as well, or that one Monero you don't really see playing into uh, the currency use case so much? So we have Monero in there. And to, to be pretty conservative, we've left it at a pretty small share of that. Um, again, mostly to be conservative at a similar share as some of the others, Litecoin, Dash, and some of these. Um, we think it can definitely be used for those types of use cases, but we think someone at a mobile point of sale, you know, going to whatever, buy Starbucks, will be much less likely to use this than they would Bitcoin or one of these other ones. Again, we don't find any other ones as compelling as Bitcoin because the network effect it has, the liquidity it has, the amount of people accepting it. Um, so Monero, we think actually wouldn't be compelling in a lot of those high velocity use cases that you think of with currencies. Um, but in the store of value, we'll, we'll get into that with the privacy coins. But but in there, yeah, we left it pretty low to be conservative. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, because I mean, obviously a lot of people in, in Monero land um, you know, the, the, the goal is for Monero to, you know, be used as a currency. Right. Um, and, um, you know, I, there's, there's certainly, uh, it certainly has elements, features that uh, are amendable to that. Um, you know, the dynamic block size and things like that. And then, um, you know, even things like the, the tail emission that will, keep the network secured over time and then additionally just the fungibility itself i mean because yes. ultimately shouldn't a currency be fungible is that something you guys yeah. considered like uh i know because you yeah. look there's the whole privacy thing obviously in terms of and then in terms of storage and how that plays into that use case as well right. um store value i'm sorry but uh and for for the use case of a currency, did you guys look at fungibility and whether or not that's something that may eat into Bitcoin's market share? Yeah, and I think, I think, I mean, I do agree with what you're saying, but I don't think it's it's big enough to justify a giant move in it because of the lead that you see with things like Bitcoin that already have this ecosystem set up. It's a it's a much tougher battle for it. I think it's its prime use will be in other areas, honestly. Um, versus those where there will be better uh, better networks which have much more liquidity. And I mean, yeah, fungibility, but liquidity will win that over every time. Whether there's acceptance, whether those people that accept it can get some sort of liquidity, how many places accept that, like, um, I think that overstates or, or would, would would be much more important than than that. So I'm not going to understate fungibility at all because I, I do agree that's pretty important. But I don't think it would be enough for it to kick over something like Bitcoin, even if some of them could be traced down or whatever. And Mike, I don't know if you want to add, but yeah, just I, I guess that, you know, as far as use of the currency, you know, um, I, I'd say there's, you know, there's some hesitancy, um, you know, in some sectors just because of its, you know, the privacy aspects and stuff like that. I think, you know, there could be, you know, resistance at a very, you know, depending on the government, you know, I think there's going to be more resistance on extreme, you know, privacy coins just for, you know, for a matter of, you know, tax collection and, um, you know, tracking, um, you know, dark money and, you know, crime and uh, stuff like that. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's possible, but I, I do think there's some resistance there. 
And we've seen Monero have this much trouble being listed on different exchanges because of the nature of it. Of course, Zcash can get on there. If you want to talk about fungibility, you know, Zcash is going to probably have problems with that. Um, and I, I totally agree with what Mike's saying. You're, you'll have trouble getting people to accept it and things like that. And then, uh, so moving on to, I guess, platforms, because I see that that's, you know, obviously right. a huge use case that we saw with ICOs and things like that. Um, so who do you, if you want to just go over that real quick, how, who's the sure. kind of the market, uh, who's taking the market share there? Sure. So with, with platforms, um, we, we have ETH, obviously it's the largest currently. We have that losing share. Um, mostly because within the platform space we think the dynamic is not it's not even close to what is within the currencies which revolve mostly around the network effect with platforms no matter what the network effect as we've seen with ethereum um that can be lost pretty easily the, the, the cost to switch platforms is actually it's not that much we haven't seen any real dApps built on anything um so we think when that comes about you know that might give a stickier situation or whatever platform they're built on. But right now that's not set yet. Um, if, if a lot of people want to migrate off Ethereum right now, it's really not that hard for them to. Um, and we factored in a pretty, a pretty big other category as well to reflect that. Um, and within the platforms, we probably find EOS to be most compelling. I'll, I'll let Mike go on on that, but um, that's probably the biggest competitive share you see coming in. But again, we left kind of other because it's, it's just much more competitive in the space. Yeah, and like, you know, I think it's really early to decide, you know, if any platform is going to, you know, really take the market share from Ethereum. Um, you know, obviously they have the, the community, which is is huge. Um, so, you know, there, there's, it's just, you know, it's a bunch of trade-offs and I don't, I just think it, it, you know, it's not really clear what the, you know, the community and what the developers are going to completely favor. I think there's definitely, you know, there's definitely, um, good reasons to use a platform that has, you know, much higher, you know, scaling already, um, you know, higher transaction rates, you know, different fee structures and stuff like that. Um, so I think there's, you know, I think there's some threat there. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just, it's going to take some time to see how it settles. And when we say platforms, are you, is it primarily, we're saying, being used for purposes of ICOs or what, what, what are the uses within platforms that you guys are kind of dreaming up and incorporating into that? Or have you guys were thinking along those lines? Any applications that can be built on it. Like obviously with Monero's Tari, like we've, we've thought of things like that. Um, and to, to be honest, I, I read through the thread a little bit on, uh, on Monero to on this podcast and someone had asked whether we considered, Oh yeah, I got you. All, uh, you know, the assets can be built on top of that. No, we're not in this report. We're not even factoring in any of that. Uh, any of the non-fungible assets that can be built on that. Um, this is mostly assuming Monero's, you know, currently as it is, not including Tari on there. So, but with these platforms, yeah, their ability to host application, host and create applications on them. So we're we're saying eighteen k plus. No. <laughs> Could be, but uh, I mean, we didn't we didn't build that into this. We'll probably iterate on that in the future. So yeah, we should uh, we should say this is. Uh, I don't <laughs> think we gave the the disclaimer. This is not financial advice and uh, whatever is, else yeah. included in that disclaimer. <laughs> this is merely a research paper, um, and me being a Monero fanatic, you definitely shouldn't take advice from me because I'm just going to tell you Monero is the one. <laughs> um, Same with us. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But okay. uh I do, so I mean Tari is certainly obviously it's a little hard to consider Tari at this point yeah. considering it doesn't even exist. Um but I mean I'm sure you've kind of heard uh you know Fluffy's words on it um where which what I think what I think is interesting is is that he's kind of cuz it's obviously not a new idea, right? Uh launching right. crypto assets on top of uh an existing blockchain. Uh, it was one of the first things that was done on Bitcoin, right? With, I guess, colored coins and uh, what was the other one called? But I mean, so it's it's not a new idea, but I think it's maybe something that where if it gets rebuilt now and it's rebuilt with some of these use cases in mind, mm -hmm. such as ICOs, 
that maybe it could be better built for those purposes, as opposed to something like an Ethereum that was just kind of built to be a global uh, computing system without really knowing how that computing system was going to be used, not realizing that somebody was going to launch crypto kitties and crash the whole network. So now that we kind of know like those are potential use cases and crypto launching crypto assets and ICOs, um, I do find that to maybe be a promising uh, thing about Tari is that they're actually, now that we actually know the potential use cases for these platforms, um, that that can kind of be considered when building um, the second layer something i've been thinking about what do you guys think about that yeah absolutely that'll leak out a lot into the nfts and up here with what we put with the um the collectible arts and collectibles which is a huge huge market um if any that leaks into this that's some pretty good value um again we don't have that listed out but i mean that's a pretty big opportunity yeah what yeah can you guys go over that a little bit the arts and collectibles so that's a market yeah, sure. that's already being tapped into. Yeah, so we've assumed a tiny, tiny share of that within Ethereum, um, mostly crypto kitties and things like that. But it's not meaningful in any way. Um, but yeah, we've assumed a very, very small amount of that there. And I want to say that's a trillion dollar market currently. Uh, we have that going. Arts and collectibles going to be. 1.3 trillion in 10 years, which is probably a pretty conservative estimate. But um, with our crypto penetration, it's like 0.5% or something even lower than that right now in our report. So we're assuming very, very little share uh, within within that space, especially you know from NFTs and things like that. So it's not reflecting much of that. Just you know, just at a high level um, with the NFTs and collectibles and things like things like that. Just talking to people in the industry, you know, that's something that people are you know extremely excited about. Um, I think the Dodgers are actually going to be doing the first um, giveaway of a crypto bobblehead. I think it's uh, built on Ethereum. I think that's happening tomorrow. And um, you know, there's there's a lot of potential for that you know to grow, but that's contingent on you know, some of the big, you know, game developers, um, you know, integrating those into their games and really giving people, you know, the opportunity to, to collect things that, you know, they could use and stuff like that um, and trade. And, you know, they'll, you know, theoretically, if the game is popular, you know, the assets, the um, collectibles will store some value. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think uh, it's, it's an extremely interesting use case. So. And when you think of the crowd that it's appealing to, it's not old people using this stuff that will complain about having something that's not tangible. It's, you know, this is the newer generation. They're not going to care about, you know, having something they can hold. They're going to yeah, think about something digital. That's all they're used to. Um, so to Michael's point, it's pretty, it's good that they're starting out with things like that. It'll be interesting to see how it grows. So. And within in games, within, uh, within, within gaming as well, that'd be pretty interesting. Do you think there's uh so about, you know, the fact that Monero, uh, you know, the protocol layer is private and fungible. Do you think that makes uh, assets built on top of it kind of unique as opposed to building the assets on top of a Bitcoin or an mm. Ethereum? Do you guys see any potential value there? I actually don't have a strong, Mike, do you have a strong opinion on that? I haven't really thought about that that much. That's pretty interesting. Um, no, no, it's not something I've put a lot of thought into. I mean, you could think of it if the base if the base chain is just stronger in that way and has more support, whether it be development, whether it be I don't know, just accepting liquidity or anything like that. I, I, I assume different people want to build on it, maybe more. Um, and the strength of the base base chain as well that would contribute to how stable those would be. Um, but I really don't have a strong. What do you think? I don't think I've looked into it as much. I, I I haven't really. I mean, I've heard Fluffy allude to it as being something that might have added value in that you can kind of turn the privacy on and off. You know, like it's default private, um, and there may be some value in wanting to maintain that. Um, but yeah, no, I don't. I I myself don't have a good answer for that. That's what I was asking you guys. But um, and I'm learning. You know, I'm, I think we're all learning as we go with the Tari thing, right? It started kind of started 
what seemed like kind of vague to me and now it's becoming more and more clear as to what it's going to be. Um, so there's, I think we're all kind of trying to figure that out as we go. How about things like, um, and maybe I'm, I'm just not realizing what aspect this would be tied into, but uh, something simple as, you know, if, if, if the new financial world is kind of running on, on these blockchains, um, you know, companies aren't going to want to make transactions on a transparent one, right? Um, necessarily, right? They don't want their competitors to see how they're moving money around. Uh, you know, if, you know, Tesla's buying, making a big purchase of lithium or something somewhere, they don't want necessarily all their competitors to see that moving over the blockchain. Um, so do you guys see that playing into this at all? Like where, the business world itself is going to be is going to want to run on a private blockchain versus a transparent one. Mike and I have looked into this quite a bit. Um, on our first piece, we wrote I, I'm more on the technical side on private chains. Um, it's like private chains are kind of like when you had the internet um, before the internet. They're kind of experimenting with this stuff. I really don't. I don't see them using this in 10 or 15 years. I think what they're doing is testing this stuff out, integrating it into their systems because they move incredibly slowly in these with these different uh, IT departments. So I think they're testing it out, working it in as a transitionary step. And then when any of these public chains is large enough, um, I think they could definitely step in there and use something as like a kind of like a view key, like a like an opt-in type privacy, but in a way where it's not the entire network that's using that. The entire network could be public, but stable enough and large enough, but they could also, you know, use some sort of privacy features um, that could be like an opt-in type thing. Um, but I, I don't, I don't really think very highly of private chains at the moment with how they're made out to be. It's one or the other. I think they're a transition step while these chains are developing and maturing. Um, then, then they'll probably switch over but yeah. what do you think mike I, I i tend to agree with that you know there's a lot of um there's a lot of hype and a lot of people trying to do like a private chain you know um without a crypto asset you know and it, it, there's a lot of um it's like if you know if, if you're having a blockchain that's not secured by you know a crypto asset that incentivizes people to secure the network it's it's almost like you know well what's what's the point you know um, yeah that's you know that's ultimately my opinion I'd, I'd say okay yeah I think I I think I confused the question a little I'm talking about like the privacy the, like privacy chain so Monero itself right oh, so like I yeah so like okay. I don't want to stop you because you guys are making good points nevertheless <laughs> but um yeah. Obviously, you know, permissionless versus permission chains or private chain. Yeah, you know, but I'm talking about privacy chains. The are those is is that valued in when you say Monero is going to kind of be w potentially winning this privacy space, sure. and the privacy space has potentially the largest growth potential here. Um, are you also taking into account like it's this this concept that uh, you know companies are going to want to transact over a private a blockchain that's obfuscated versus a transparent ledger. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Not much more to say beyond that, but yeah, absolutely. They're going to want that kind of feature. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant. And then, so how, where do we, how is that tied in? That's just in the general, in this general privacy breakdown over here. Yeah, saying? exactly. And then, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's tied into here. That is factored into this. Okay. Cause right. just cause that kind of like goes back up to currency, right? Cause like if, right. if like I said, if Tesla's like, you know, purchasing some component from China and they're, you know, using, uh, you know, eventually maybe everything's crypto. Are they, are they yeah. sending, are they sending Bitcoin to make that purchase or are they sending Monero? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes into other things we factored in, which is, I mean, ransom money. You can definitely see companies storing some of this just out of fear. I mean, one of our friends the other day, I think it was his uncle that had his landscaping business. Uh, his servers were locked. And um, just texted him, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but I need my stuff. How do I just buy this Bitcoin stuff so I can pay them off and get my stuff? 
Mm-hmm. That's huge. I mean, in, in the use case, you're talking about ransoms and, and a lot of different things. Um, in pretty obscure cases, I think we're going to see that used. I mean, when you think of any sort of uh, market where you want something hidden, some sort of value hidden, whether it be legal, whether it not be, it's going to be huge. Yeah, I think it's kind of underestimated as to how um, how many people are going to want to transact privately. I think, um, you know, Bitcoin is, is great for governments, right? right. Um, but not so much for private citizens and corporations that are competing against each other in a capitalistic right. world. Sure. And when you think of that, I mean, the crux of this report is that what tiny value in these really uh, applicable markets like offshore deposits and remittances and just anywhere where you're storing value are uh, can be used with from these privacy networks. That's that's huge. Um, you're right. It's tough to tell, but we've made really conservative assumptions with what percentage these could get from that. And considering how compelling they are within each of those use cases. And then you also assume on top of that, how uh, sticky are these markets, right? Because when you see some of these markets that are using anonymous coins, it's not like they're flip-flopping flopping back and forth between Paybex and Dash. You're seeing Monero across the board, um, and they stick with that, and they're probably going to stick with that. We'll see how you know Mimblewimble does when that comes out, but um, they're you know with tiny, tiny bits from these giant markets with very slow velocity and very low turnover. You need a lot of this stuff to actually apply to those in the, you know, the amounts that we think that they could get of the share of the, of the, of the whole market. So, yeah, it's tough to estimate, but we've we've done a pretty conservative estimate here. And by those estimates, I mean, these numbers right here, when you get to the upside Monero, um, that's why these are surprising, I think, because. I just don't think it's being reflected in this at all. That type of, and it's it's not sexy either. Like what we've seen, we've seen the sexy stuff go up, right? Um, you've seen a lot of these platform coins go up on speculation of some hot dap. But when you think about it, the, the use cases, these can already be used for. We're not talking about Monero where it has trouble scaling or whatever. These can be used for these applications already. You don't need scaling to store value. Um, and so that's why I think these are really surprising. But when you look at the end market and even really conservatively what share they could get and considering the quality of that share, it's really, really low velocity use case where you're just storing some value somewhere. It's very compelling. And I know what Fluffy says. And I, our job isn't to be conserved, isn't to uh, hedge away and say this stuff has flaws and you know, whatever. No, our, our job is to look at this stuff and say what could be the most promising and communicate, communicate that to investors. And so, um, yeah, that, that's why privacy is like definitely, we think the most undervalued. So, so zooming out, zooming out for a second, um, have, have you guys read uh, Seyfedean's book or at least the title, no, it kind of sums it all up. <laughs> the, uh, the Bitcoin standard. Um, have you guys heard about it? I've heard about it. I haven't read it. Okay. I can read that. Yeah. yeah, no, I've, I've heard about it. I have not read it myself. So uh, that's being, you know, uh, that's kind of like the Bitcoin maximalist Bible uh, of the day right now. And it's it's kind of the go-to in explaining um, why Bitcoin is the one coin that will rule them all. Um, so I guess obviously you guys don't, don't necessarily believe that there's going to be one coin, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be seeing all these different sectors and uh, different coins owning different parts of different sectors. Um, how do you guys kind of justify that as opposed to the argument that, you know, it's like it would be one protocol that, that rules them all. So I, you know, I, I think there's going to be different, um, there's going to be different needs that one protocol, you know, can't, uh, you know, can't realistically do the best job at, at meeting every single need and just, you know, um, just, you know, just at a high level, you know, you look at something um, just like with privacy coins, you know, I think privacy coins are are great, but every single market, um, a privacy coin is not going to be the best option. There's going to be some, you know, there's going to be some, um, some places where some types of companies, you know, because of, you know, regulation or, 
things of that nature. They are, you know, they're kind of, they're either prohibited or it's very difficult for them to use a, you know, a privacy coin. I think there's many that will, but I think in certain circumstances, um, that's not always going to be the best option for every single company. So yeah, it's a double-edged sword too. A lot of times, yeah, exactly with Michael, with what Michael's saying. Like, it might be great because you have this, uh, you know, this Armageddon scenario where, yeah, you have incredible privacy, but then also that'll bar you from being accepted in a lot of places and a lot of banks from dealing with, fiat, you know, allowing these inlets for fiat currency to come in and actually purchase that. It's like a double-edged sword, but um, a lot of different trade-offs. That's why you see Zcash get listed so easily on these on Gemini and things like that because it's you know has often privacy. None of the network uses you know shield transactions, um, but that's the great part. You can get listed on there because of that. I mean, it's it's a it's a trade-off between these. So I could definitely see many, you know, you know, having value and share. So does does Monero eventually win the store of value space? So within what we've put, um, we have it having a share. It, I don't think anything will eventually have 100% of it in the next 10 years. Um, I think it will increase quite a bit from where it is now, um, but not, not entirely, no. I think all these that have different use cases will have different flavors of some store of value. Um, but I think this stuff to the markets that we've, you know, uh, uh, incorporated in the, into the model, yeah, it will have pretty, pretty. Uh, imp- it'll have improving share with those, but not entirely. No, I think entirely will be years down the line if there's that. But store value, I think, will still be spread between several. Because if you think about it, a platform that you know will be used, and you use that token, whatever, that have some resemblance of a store of value in that, um, in and of itself. But that makes sense. Um, and then, so there's the overall, you know, Bitcoin is gold. Have you guys thought about that? You know, is Bitcoin, is Bitcoin digital gold? Is Monero potentially digital gold? Or are you guys not really thinking of it in those terms because of the fact that you don't think it's one winner takes all? Yeah, not one winner takes all. And that goes right into the store of value use case, right? Because when you think of gold, you think of that. Um, you're not... You know, it's it's store value with that. And I think it's a pretty easy one-liner to communicate to people, to old people that don't know what Bitcoin is. You go, oh, digital gold. Uh, and they go, okay, okay, like I got it. But when you go into depth, you, you break that down by the market, by the application and things like that. And um, uh, I think that falls in the store value. Oh, you lose you? Uh, we might have lost your run. He froze. Oh, oh here he is. Oh, you're back. Oh, my back. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, okay. Cool. I don't know what happened. Okay. But yeah, Mike, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. But. No, no, I, I I agree. You know, the whole, um, I you know, it, the digital gold, I, I agree with what Sherman said. It's it's a nice one-liner, um, but it, it really, it's it's too topical. Um, you know, you, you, you can't just call something digital gold and then, it, you know, it's digital gold. You, know, you have to really dig a little uh, more deeply into the use cases and really, you know, try and understand it, um, you know, and I, I don't think there's going to be, you know, one winner takes all. I think there's going to be big use cases for a variety, you know, for a few winners. So this this report, I mean, is essentially, obviously, it's talking about the valuations and, and looking at the potential sectors and opportunities and how big these spaces can be. Um, and I think you guys have another report that's, it's like a five part series, right? So there's a, a, another one coming down the pipe. Um, is that where we're going to start to see, um, things like, uh, where, where we look at the risks that are involved with these things and, um, reg- things like regulation, um, rather than just looking at the valuations in an ideal world, uh, balancing that against the risks. Is that what uh, the next report is about? Sure. So basically what we did is to initiate coverage on on the crypto universe, we basically structured it as kind of um, like a, what we call the pyramid of learning of within the space. So it's kind of like, let me show you. 
This, this is our first report. We went through, it's basically the technical parts, so consensus algos, hashing algos, but we basically came up with this pyramid, which is kind of the structure of what we uh, have the five reports as. So the technical parts first, which are the most important network creation. So how do you make these networks? Where do they come from? What's the ICO landscape look like? And we did put in some, uh, we put a pretty big legal section um, in here, which is explaining, uh, you know, the different jurisdictions across the world, how do they see um, crypto in general, because um, maybe some haven't given ICO-specific commentary, but they've given crypto commentary, and then market composition, so network stats, understanding, you know, all the different data that goes into these networks, because um, it's, it's pretty unique, and then the valuation, which is what you saw now, and we, we actually just released the custody and trading, so last step is how to get your hands on it, what's the space look like for trading and getting it, uh, we actually came out with that already. In terms okay. of what you're asking, which is, yeah, yeah. Um, so with what you're asking, which is, um, I guess, legal, uh, you're saying like the legal opinion on each sector. Well, I guess, no, I guess, guess what I'm saying is here, like in this report that I'm looking at, we could see, you know, in right. best case scenario, uh, Monero would own some percentage of this privacy market. And, and this privacy sector and this privacy sector would be valued at X dollars. And I, if, you know, uh, Monero owns that percentage of the market, it'll be worth that, that amount essentially. Right. Um, right. but are you then kind of weighing that against, you know, the risks that are involved in getting there? Sure. It's like the regulation. Right. That tough, that, that stuff is pretty tough to, estimate and you can assign some sort of probability for something being completely axed off or, you know, whatever, some country deeming, you know, whatever, Monero illegal. Um, you can have those scenarios for what we published here that did not assume any of that. Um, Cause you can, and it didn't assume any sort of like what you think, like, I don't know if you say counterparty risk. It's not really, I guess it would be kind of counterparty, but development risk. If there's some sort of glitch in the Monero code or something that causes it to implode or whatever, we didn't factor for any of these. But that's an interesting thought to come up with. And we can definitely think about in the future to come up with. Because you're right. What happens if you're saying some country bans a critical you know, tech element of one of these? What would happen? We haven't come up with that. but um, And it wasn't factored into this one. But we, we definitely we could incorporate that. That's interesting. Cool. And then I guess like other factors too. Like, um, you know, the analyzing or I guess maybe you did that in the earlier reports, um, the the coins or the blockchains in terms of maybe how strong their development is, how active uh, their development community is, um, how distributed they are versus other coins in terms of development and also in terms of things like uh, the mining network. And yeah. We have uh, some centralization stats here, which are really nice to look at. As you can see in the red, we have our favorite Ripple and our other favorite, which is Stellar, which are not incentivized to run a node. Um, you have high concentration in the uh, the voting and mining power and the you know the actual supply of the money. Um, doesn't matter if Ripple's money's locked up; it's still theirs. <laughs> um, you know the number of public nodes. And we kind of thought about that stuff and looked to their to their point too. Ripple was really nice with us, and they basically called us and said, "You know, we want to help you understand how decentralized Ripple can be, um, because we're making efforts to make it much more decentralized than Bitcoin and others." I said, "Oh, that's great. You know, why why should I run a node?" And they said, "Well, if you're already participating in the network, it would just be great to." And I said, "Great. Can I get mining fees or anything? no?" Oh, okay. So that's great, but why would I want to run one? So at the end of the day, you're going to end up with, okay, maybe more nodes from a network that is already centralized in their purpose, which is using this network, banks, whatever. So we looked at those types of things. Um, I still don't see that. Maybe it's more decentralized in the number of nodes, but the purpose behind it, if you're not incentivized to run this, yeah, there's a few group of miners that run Bitcoin. There's you know, a handful of miners that run Monero, but they have some incentive to actually work towards it. When you, with these networks, they don't have any incentive. Um, plus to actually get a public node up and running from what I've heard is, is pretty tough with the networks like Ripple. Um, so we're kind of still waiting to see 
why would you want to contribute to these networks? No wonder no one's running these nodes. Um, and most of them are vetted by them, uh, recommended by them when you join their network. Um, it's pretty centralized. So we came up with some stats around that. I can flash that up again if you want, but yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't know what I was more excited about, the uh, 18K Monero or the uh, one, one cent Ripple. <laughs> yeah, I mean, today, look, today with where the price of Ripple is, that's fine with, with what we're looking at. And another question I saw in the thread was, do we believe in fundamental analysis or technical analysis? So fundamental being what something actually is intrinsically. By the way, intrinsic doesn't mean tangible. Intrinsic covers intangible and tangible. Um, which I think these networks have intrinsic value um, and technicals, which is chart and price based. This model is meant to be to show you fundamentally the actual climate of the market and what comes on, whether it be an announcement from Ripple pump, trying to pump up their their crypto because they know that's the best way they've made money is through the you know through their crypto rising. It's not even a crypto; it's a pseudo crypto. It's not even cryptocurrency, but that's you know a pump on announcement. That's okay. We're we're looking at the fundamental value of that how compelling it is within its actual, you know, whatever market it's applying to. And when you look at Ripple, it's looking at a huge, to their point, giant market. But you can use other coins. So if you're going to come down to transaction throughput speed, you can use other coins that are going to be just as fast. Um, other other cryptos on their network. Um, so, and even, even if banks all want to use Ripple, look at the high velocity it's being used for. As soon as you buy it, just by nature of it, you get the other, the other once, it's, once it's through, you're going to have to sell it. Um, so the dynamic of it is just, it's a poor dynamic. Um, so I don't see it capturing value. I don't see it you, you needing much of it to be able to facilitate that. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's and based on their supply, which they put out there to, up their market cap numbers it's you know it's just it's misleading there's not really i will see how, how their network goes but you know and mike i don't know if you want to add to the yeah i'd um, say, I'd say bank announcement. just just with ripple in general um yeah. you know the stuff you know there's so much it's just a constant stream of hype um and you know most of the people that we speak with in the you know in the industry and stuff like that um are you know extremely skeptical of it? I would I would say in general. So it's going to be you know it, it's um it's one thing you know to to get more people interested and kind of knowing you know there's some use cases um you know for crypto and for remanses and stuff like that. But whether you know Ripple is the best one you know or has the you know the fundamental XRP that has the fundamental value, uh, not so sure on that. And you can tell a lot by the community too, adding on to what Mike said. Um, when we published this report, um, if you just looked at it at the difference in the Monero community and how they responded to our report, which was good for Monero, we we moved the price quite a bit. We didn't expect that, but like, um, uh, it was skepticism. It was a neutral skepticism, not a, not a blind embracing. Yeah, but when you look at the Ripple community, it was a blind bashing of this with really not when we go to the threads and you look at the entire xrp army which mike is pretty familiar with and i am there's not really a fundamental even when i spoke with their people on the phone um it couldn't give me really good reasons behind you know a, a good counter to our arguments behind this um so just looking at the communities you can tell there's a huge difference also contrary to popular belief monero did not pay us for this report um, we've seen that a lot. We, Mike and I were not paid to write this report at all. So, yeah. And short sellers did not write us to pay, you know, did not pay us to write about Ripple. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess it's, what do you think it is about Monero that kind of, uh, attracts this skepticism and, um, it's a smarter community. It's a way smarter, much more technical community. That's what we liked about it from the start. Um, it's it's just more humble. It's a more educated crowd. They're not blindly following a cheap per unit price based on uh, an announcement that is separate and unrelated to this thing. They they care about the actual intrinsic development of it. Um, definitely. So I didn't do you, no, thank you. So do you guys think the fundamentals will win at the end of the day? 
Because, I yeah. mean, there, there are all these pumps that we're going up against. I mean, you have, you know, Bcash on CNBC. I mean, you have, like, all these temporary uh, pump. But what, but will, you know, is it possible that kind of Monero gets left, left behind because it doesn't have the marketing power? It's not, it doesn't have, it doesn't, you know, have somebody out there kind of rallying for it? Um, or do you think the fundamentals will eventually help Monero rise to the top for the same reason Bitcoin uh, pumped up for fundamental for fundamental reasons whether it went up too high beyond that or not enough it's up here for a reason uh, you know however many later nine years later it's up here for a reason same with Monero um, in the short term yeah that stuff will impact it but um, fundamentals long term will completely carry it so yeah, I think I think I think ultimately uh, the market will be rational, and ultimately, yeah, fundamentals are going to drive the price. Um, you know, for the entire market, it's going to take some time. And like Sherman said, there's going to be some ups and downs, and there's going to be some pumps and dumps in between that. But ultimately, the fundamentals will drive the market. And most of the market right now is speculation. So if you look at the quality of what's pushing stuff, yeah, it's it's okay. Like, give it a few years. It's not going to be adjusting to these prices immediately we're not we didn't write this to actually predict prices and say in one year this will be worth whatever uh, according to a completely fundamental situation yeah okay but the market will you know it's it's irrational for some time this is a new market filled with a lot of retail money um very different market than you know the traditional you know, equity and debt markets and currency markets and like that. So, but it'll take some time but you know, we think fundamentals will, will definitely win in a much longer term so. Are you guys, uh, what are you guys excited about in Monero in general? I mean, we got Bulletproofs coming up. Um, we got Tari. Uh, we got Covery. Um, are you guys, uh, is anything in particular getting you excited? I've been waiting for Bulletproofs because, I mean, reduction in transaction fees and things like that will be pretty appealing. Um, I can't tell you how many people I know that want to remove their Monero off the exchanges, but it's just expensive to it's a smaller amount or something like that. I think that'll be a huge improvement. So I'm um, looking forward to that. So, And what do you guys think about kind of the anti-ASIC approach we're taking and, you know, um, changing our proof of work algo to kind of, you know, beat out the, uh, the ASICs? Mike, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think ultimately, um, I think ultimately, in my opinion, this is my opinion only, um, ASIC development is going to continue to a degree where it becomes um, very, you know, much cheaper to develop. There's going to be, you know, more technology. There's going to be more, you know, brain power behind the ASIC development. And it's going to, um, it's going to be very difficult, you know, I think to continue forking um, to always, you know, avoid ASIC miners. And, you know, so long as, you know, there's the right incentives, I don't think, um, I don't think ASIC miners are necessarily completely detrimental to an, an ecosystem. Do you think it's, it's kind of a good short-term solution that we're, you know, taking this approach to try to stay more distributed? Or um, sure, it's, it's sure. like, or it's futile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in the short term, you know, um, I, I, I think it's, I think it's a reasonable approach. Um, I, I think eventually the, you know, the, the goal is that the, you know, the network is so big, where you don't really have to worry about one person um, gaining so much control over it because the network's so big. Uh, there's going to be multiple new ASICs. Um, you know, in, in various stages of development, basically all the time, you know, that's, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Um, but, but it, yeah, it, it makes sense now. You know, I, I understand the, you know, the reasoning and the approach behind it. Cool. You guys have, uh, anything else you want to talk about in terms of the valuation? No, I think we kind of went through everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, if there's any more questions, uh, I don't know if anyone's sent any more questions, but I think that's basically the crux of it. Mike, I don't know if you want to add anything, but you can do it. Yeah, I, I think we covered most of it, unless there's any questions or. 
Thanks, guys. I think that was great. Are you guys ever uh, lurking around the Monero community? You mean like on Reddit and things like that? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, – <laughs> I, I'd say, you know, I, I, I'm not much of a commenter, but I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm always reading, you know, what's going on. So. Most you- of our stuff has been forwarded to XMR Trader, uh, our report, so <laughs> we don't see it in r slash Monero, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. Are you guys New York based? No, I'm in San Diego, California, and okay. then Mike's. I'm I'm in Santa Barbara County area, so our our team is kind of decentralized, so to say. Uh, <laughs> you know, we we have people in uh, in New York, um, a few people in Colorado, and you know, a few people in California. So, cool. Yeah, because uh, we're we're having a Monero meetup in uh, in New York next week. Oh, well, you're in New York. Okay, cool. If you guys want to swing by. <laughs> yeah, let me get my private chat. Oh, wait. <laughs> All right. Well, that was great. Cool. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, should we should we expect more Monero reports coming out from you guys? Or what's 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 next? I know you, you had the fifth part of your series, I guess, came out. Uh, what's kind of next for you guys? Yeah, so continuing on that, basically looking at each of the sectors and writing up research on that. So yeah, you can definitely expect that, yeah. Great. Um, yeah, no, this was, I, it was really exciting to see this report. I think like we were saying in the chat, uh, the Monero community, um, for all these good reasons we were just talking about, is kind of uh, opposed to talking about things like price and even what you know the future price might be. But I certainly think it's an important thing to talk about because it's obviously an indication of um, whether or not Monero is working and achieving its goals of being a currency and a store of value. Um, So I I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to talk about uh, the price. And it's certainly an exciting estimate to see 18K in five years. and then all those other things we were talking about where we weren't even kind of factoring in uh, Tari or the fact that Min- Monero might might uh, have some elements to it that are better than Bitcoin for currency purposes. Um, I'm just excited to, to see these numbers. So thanks for doing that. I know you guys are just, we're just taking uh, an objective approach, but it's uh, certainly exciting to see being a, a Monero enthusiast. Cool. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, to everybody watching, I mean, obviously read the report if you haven't already and check out their, their, because I I was getting into some of your early reports. There's a lot of great information in there. You guys really broke things down and simplified a lot of things. Um, Even getting into the different types of proof of work, you know, proof of work coins versus uh, some of these other approaches that are being taken, you know, these non-blockchain approaches, uh, which, you know, I've heard in different different uh, areas, but you guys really break it down nicely. Uh, what re- I think that was your, was that the first report? It was the first report, right? We went through basically the different architectures. Um, so something like Ripple, which is revolves on a hash tree. It's, it's not a blockchain, which people don't know. Um, then you have blockchains, you have DAGs. Um, Hashgraph's a DAG. IOTA uses a DAG. Um, so we go through the architectures and then the different consensus algorithms and hashing algorithms and stuff. So that's a technical one, yeah. Yeah, in general, I'd say uh, that technical report is kind of essential reading for anyone uh, in the space because you guys really break it down nicely and make it easily uh, digestible. Um, and that's it, man. Thanks uh, Thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. See you. Bye. So long.